Welcome to Corporate Caffeine. I'm Dacia Coffee. As a chief marketing officer, speaker, author, copywriter, and three-time entrepreneur, I've learned a thing or two about influence and impact in the business world. So I want to share with you what I've learned about how to be heard, be seen, and be successful, and introduce you to the people I've met along the way who learned how to unlock their potential. Welcome to Corporate Caffeine. On today's episode, we're having a conversation with Mike Myro. He's the CEO of Proactive Leadership, an executive coach and a business strategist. Now, here's the deal. Make sure you grab a pencil because we are about to jump into a full-blown deep dive on how to scale a very exciting and bold business in excellence and also how to apply that to your own personal growth. Now, Mike brought so many actionable insights that we actually decided to turn this one into a two-part series. You are going to love this. Let's jump right in. Mike, thank you so much for joining us on Corporate Caffeine. I am beyond excited to spend time with you selfishly because every time I get to have deep, meaningful conversation, I come away with so much ideas and action items and my brain just kind of starts going, wait, wait, catch up. <laughs> so I'm super excited to get to introduce you to people. Well, I appreciate the opportunity. So for those of you guys out there have never heard of Mike Myro, he and I became friends a couple of years ago because of a CEO group that we were in. So um, we've gotten a chance to work alongside of one another, um, but also I've got to know him personally. So Mike, why don't you tell everybody a little bit about your background and what you do now, but also how you got here, because I love the depth and breadth of your background, because there's not like a straight line no. to worldwide, you know, coach of the year type of status. Right. Well, um, I grew up in a family owned business and uh, actually lived on a farm and we had a service station in Farmersville, Texas. And I learned pretty much everything I know about business from my dad because I watched him, how he treated people, how he dealt with people, um, you know, how he built relationships with customers, how he marketed the yes. business and uh, how he, we, we were the number one gas seller in Farmersville. Uh, not because we had better gas than everybody. He just knew how to position it and promote it better than anybody else. And so uh, grew up doing that. And uh, when I graduated from high school, I had actually won a scholarship uh, to, uh, to go to college. It wasn't on my radar to go to college. This scholarship uh, opened a door that I wasn't even thinking about. Did you think you would work in the family business? I was business? planning to work in the gas station. Okay. Yeah, okay. be a mechanic like my dad. Sure. And uh, so I had a little bit of mechanical ability. You know, I could tear a car apart and put it back together and tractors and anything else that had a motor. And uh, uh, But I got this scholarship the night that I graduated from high school. And I... Uh, found out later my mom had signed me up for this thing I was totally unaware just caught me totally <laughs> off guard off guard that's what moms do that's what she did and and she was good at that and so I ended up going to school at uh, East Texas State University in Commerce it's now Texas A&M Commerce and it's kind of funny how I ended up there was it, Farmersville is almost exactly halfway between East Texas State and North Texas State in Denton 
And so I literally flipped a coin. <laughs> and said, I, I, I didn't know what I was going to do. I had no no aspirations at all. And so, you know, coming from a town that had about 2,000 people in it to a town that had eight to 10,000 people in it. And then when school was in, there was another five to 7,000 people there. I mean, I was so naive, you know, about living in a place like that. And so, but I started school. My mom wanted me to be an accountant. I took an accounting class and I said, I will never do this for a living. And, uh, but I did want to be involved in business. And I felt like that would, you know, give me some skills to, uh, to get into, uh, you know, getting a job, you right. know, ultimately. And so I took most of my uh, classes were business classes. I was intrigued with the whole people side of the business, human resources and stuff like that. So uh, my first undergraduate degree was actually in human resource management. And uh, my intention was to go be an HR director somewhere. Sure. And I was working at a company in Greenville, Texas, a defense contractor known as E-Systems. And while I was working there, I had the opportunity to work on airplanes and, do, you know, because of my mechanical ability, I'm actually working on, you know, airplanes. And uh, my claim to fame at, at E-Systems was I got to put carpet on Air Force One. And, and, <laughs> I know, that's cool. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it, it really was kind of cool. And, and so did that. And, uh, but the, the guy that I worked for there, kind of took me under his wing. He kind of mentored me and he says, you know, you need to, you need to make sure that you get an education that will allow you to grow in a career. And I was in a room with about 45 engineers, mechanical engineers. We built black boxes for the, for the air force. And I was the only guy that had any computer science background at all. I'd taken two computer science classes as part of my courses at, at school and so they, they were asking all these people, y'all know how to, they had bought this CAD system and nobody knew how to set it up. Right. They looked at me and said, it's yours. You, you, you're the only one that knows anything and you how to turn it computer. on, you know? So, so here you go. And I had a buddy that worked in software development and he, he, uh, he said, don't worry about it. I'll tell you what to do. And I got a crash course on how to run a computer system in about six months. Oh, my gosh. And next thing you know, I'm running this thing. I'm doing data processing stuff all over the plant. And and this is in the early days of computing. You right, know? for sure. Uh, I mean, we're talking late 70s, early 80s kind of time. I mean, the PCs, we ran the, the CAD system on an IBM PC that had two floppy disks. Yes. <laughs> okay? that's, how, that's how far back it goes. But I kind of liked doing it. Yeah. I, I kind of was, I figured it out. I kind of understood how it worked. And the, the guy that was head of our department came to me and he says, if you'll go back to school and get a degree in computer science, he said, number one, we'll pay for it. And number two, we'll, we'll give you a job in software development when you, when you graduate. So I thought, uh, computers, there may be something to this someday, you know, <laughs> and and so I decided to go back to school for another two years and got a second bachelor's degree in computer science, 
And I came to him with my diploma. I said, okay, I'm graduated. I'm ready to move into that position. Sorry, we don't have a position for you. No. And I was angry. Oh, yeah. I was mad. I said, what do you mean? I just, yeah. he said, well, we paid for it. So, sorry. Good luck. And uh, so I went back to the university and I said, uh, I went to the placement office. I had never even messed with that. Right. And because I was going to have this job. And so they started putting my resume out. I was the only guy. I had a 4.0 GPA in computer science. Now, the rest of my GPA was not real good. But, <laughs> but in computer science, it was good. And, a good sign. And, and uh, two years of experience. Yeah. So there were a lot of people who wanted to talk to me. For sure. I so, so I had 30 job offers when I talked to the placement office. And so I started thinking about, okay, what do I ultimately want to do? And this kind of talks about the power of setting goals. The day I graduated, I wrote down on a piece of paper, I want to be the senior IT guy in a mid-level company, you know, running all the technology. And I put it, I wrote on a piece of paper and put it in my wallet. And that was my goal. And I figured it would take me 20, 25 years to achieve that goal. But that's ultimately what I wanted to do. I wanted to be a manager. I wanted to lead people. But I also wanted to do technology. And so I uh, started looking around. IBM mainframes was the thing, you know, get, get into IBM mainframes. And so I went to work for JCPenney. And the insurance company, JCPenney had an insurance company. If you had a JCPenney credit card, they would send you a deal to get life insurance. Okay. Huh. So I supported all the systems for the life insurance company. Sure. And this was this was kind of complex, IBM, CICS, and stuff like that. And I was pretty good at it. But that was my first foray into the corporate world. Didn't yes. like it very much. Oh, no. No, I was... <laughs> I'm used to working in a family business. You know, yeah. we see a problem, Small we go town, fix it. That's right. Okay. I didn't yes. know all the politics and everything that goes yes. along with that. In the job before that, you were basically interacting with the owner. Yeah. You know, saying, hey, here we go. Just, you're going to do this for me. Absolutely. You, know, you don't get that. It, yeah. And, and so, and I didn't get into the politics at East Systems, you know, because I was kind of just did my own thing. And uh, so this was my first foray into corporate politics. Hated it. Hated it. I was miserable the second week I was there. And my boss didn't like me very much. This was my first foray into working for somebody that was not a good leader. Yeah. And so didn't like it very much. I, you know, I'd go home and tell my wife. I said, look, you know, this is, I don't know how this is going to play out. She goes, well, just give it time. You know, you're, you're good at what you do. Just keep, keep your head down. Keep doing your work. Okay, I'll do that. I did that for about a year. And uh, she called me out one day at, at a lunch meeting for being a Christian, you know, being a believer. And I, I didn't it, it handle that very well. I was like, who do you think you are? Right. You know? Yeah. And, and uh, so they had given me a performance review. This is why I hate performance reviews. And it had, you know, three was meeting expectations. I'm working like 20 hours a week overtime. I'm killing myself to keep these systems running. Yes. And they, I got meets expectations. I'm like, well, you guys are smoking something. And so I asked my boss, I said, what, what, where am I falling short? Give me feedback. Tell me what I need to do to be better. And he goes, you need to learn to follow instructions. 
And I'm like, what? What are you talking about? And the, when I, you know, growing up in a gas station, you find something that's wrong, you fix it. Yes. Well, that's the way I was with the, the code. And I found stuff that didn't work. Their specs were wrong. And I would fix it. And I'd get in trouble because I didn't do it per the, per the spec. And so I said, I'm supposed to just do it, even though it's wrong and broken. I'm supposed to just go with that. Yeah. Yeah, you do what you're told. I said, I'm out of here. Yes. And so uh, the uh, lady that gave my, that placed my wife in her first job when we moved into Dallas, uh, had a, a personnel office and she ran an ad on the Christian radio station in Dallas. And I had met her when we, when my wife got her job. And so I picked up the phone and I called, I heard the ad and I said, Hey, I heard this thing for a data processing manager. I said, you know, I might be interested in that. And she said, well, tell me about your background. Told her about the education and the experience and all that. She goes, you're perfect for this job. And so she sends me on an interview. First interview, four hours. Wow. Four hour four interview. Four hour interview? Four hour interview. Wow. Okay. Did you go eat lunch or anything? No, <laughs> no. no right? Just no. straight drill you. Four hours. You know, they're asking, how would you do this? What would you do? And, you know, I just was honest with them. I said, this is how I would attack it. And then they said, my boss is not here today, but I want you to come back tomorrow and interview with him. So another two-hour interview with that guy. Whoa. And at the end of that interview, he goes, we want to offer you the job. And I'm like, okay. I said, what's it pay? <laughs> and they told me, and it was about $2,000 less than what I was making over here at the other place. I'm like, yeah, but I get to be a data processing manager. Right. You know, which yeah. is gets me toward yeah. my goal. Yeah, for sure. And so come to find out, I was the first trained computer guy that Interstate Batteries ever hired. Wow. Everybody else had done something else. They were like engineers or something like that. And, was, and what year was this? This was in 1985. Wow. And so, so I was the, and I walked in and they didn't even have a fax machine. I mean, it was in '85. Yeah, it was. Wow. It was. They, they, they didn't have a whole lot of any technology. Now, how big was Interstate there? They were probably about 250 million in revenue. Probably 250 oh, wow. distributors. Yeah. About 50 people in the office. Yeah. And yeah. but they knew this technology thing was something that was coming, and they needed to bring somebody in that could help kind of guide the guide the way. And so I went to work for them. And the guy that I uh, worked for ended up leaving the company about eight months after I came on board. And they basically said, can you handle all, can you handle everything? You're the like, guy. And I'm like, sure, absolutely. And so next thing I know, I've got a team of five or six people and we're writing code. We're building systems for our distributors and we're writing all the code for the company because you couldn't buy the software. You had yeah. to develop your own software. That's right. And so... I got to touch every part of the company, sales, marketing, accounting, distribution, you know, every, uh, everything. And so it, it gave me an across-the-board appreciation for every function in the business. And so 15 years later, we're almost a, we're $1.2 billion corporation, 350 distributors in the U.S. and Canada, and uh, incredible. a guy approached me. He said, uh, I've got this idea for a dot-com business. This is like 1999, you know, when dot-com was everything. And I had actually done a lot of the e-commerce 
fundamental work for Interstate during my last couple of years there. We were starting to, to get into that. And um, so we, uh, he, he goes, you know anything about this e-commerce stuff? I said, yeah. And he, he said, I need somebody to come in and help me do everything. Not just the technology, but set up the HR and set up the operations and, and distribution and all this other stuff. And I said, well, I've been in wholesale distribution for 15 years. I know a little bit about it. And so we, we me and uh, three other guys, we started this company and we sold licensed products over the Internet. And we were able to build out this solution. Uh, we took an eight-page PowerPoint and raised five million bucks of investment. And that was an education unto itself. And then uh, over the course of the next eight to 12 months, we hired 65 people. Okay. I mean, we literally are packed on top of each other. Yes. But it was absolutely the most fun job I ever had because we're creating leading edge stuff. Yeah. Uh, Microsoft was one of our investors. And so we had to build our platform on Microsoft solutions. So I worked with a guy from Microsoft. and he really helped us build out a solution that would, was literally leading edge. I mean, we were our shopping cart and some of the stuff that we did was comparable to what Amazon does. And uh, so we we built that up. We sold jerseys, hats, T-shirts for every NFL, Major League Baseball, NASCAR, NCAA, all these different teams, and. We built that up, and about the mid to end of 2000, we started looking at, we're going to need to raise some more money. You know, in early 2000, you could do it. It was not a problem. There was more money than people more than willing to give you money. But about mid-2000, the, the, the dot-com started to crash. Yikes. And so we went to a lot of investors, and we couldn't raise a dime. Ugh. We couldn't raise a dime. We 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 couldn't get any more money. We were burning through uh, our cash, and so we decided to sell the company. And we ended up selling the company to News Corp, which yeah. is Fox. Yeah. And they were able to take our platform and parlay it into a, a website that actually lasted about fourteen years. Wow. And so they did a great job with it, and so did that. And it came time to, to leave. We, we were able to sell the company for enough money to pay off all of our investors, pay off all our, our uh, vendors, everybody we owe money to. We walked out of there clear. Yeah. All of our back things with employees. And I tell people, I, uh, I really made out with a really nice colored laser printer. <laughs> yeah. so, and how many years was that? Total? That was about two years. Two years. About two years. Oh yeah. And and so the life lessons. Yeah. yeah. I, I didn't make a million dollars, but I got a million dollar education. Yeah. For you know? sure. And uh, so I was able to do that. And I sit down and with my wife, and I said, I really don't have an appetite to go back into corporate. You know, cor- I'm just not. I'm not a good politics person. Uh, I like to get in, roll up my sleeves, get stuff done, work with a team, that that kind of thing. And I really had a passion. God had put a passion in my heart to do stuff that helps people. And so I, I started thinking about it, and I get a phone call from a guy that was a consultant when I was at Interstate, and he was now the chief information officer at the city of Plano. 
And he goes, you just did one of those dot-com things, right? And I said, yeah. He said, will you come over and architect our e-government strategy for us? And so I go to work in, in, as a contract uh, consultant for the city of Plano and worked with them for about two and a half years, built up their e-government stuff. We had a, a director of e-commerce there, worked with him, got all that stuff built up. And we built it in such a way they could actually sell it as a product to other cities. Ooh. And and so they sold it to McKinney and Arlington and was actually talking to Fort Worth because they all had the same back-end system. And uh, about that time, I get a call from Ted Benavides with the city of Dallas. And he says, I'm having some problem with my CIO down here. Would you come down here and help me? And he actually brought me in to help him figure out how to fire the guy. Oh, <laughs> and I said, you know, I know this guy. He's a good guy. He knows his stuff. I said, I don't understand the issue. And in talking with both of them, uh, what I found was there was a major disconnect between his expectations and the leader, the CIO's expectations in terms of what he expected, what he needed. And all I did was get him on the same page. And Nothing about technology. No, no it was all about communication and relationship. Yes. And I'm yes. going like, there's something to this. Yeah. And and so then he asked me to work with the uh, police department and the fire department to solve this 911 problem that they had. And that was, again, it wasn't a technology issue. It was a, who who's responsible? Who owns this? Yeah. And, and so worked with them and got that all squared up. And... Just through all of these projects and things, companies started calling me and saying, hey, will you help me with this? Can you do this? And I built like 40 websites for this uh, uh, nutritional supplement company. And and then another company says, hey, I'm really struggling with this. And next thing you know, I've got four or five clients that have hired me and I'm coaching them. Well, and I just love it so much how so many themes are coming full circle. So obviously the entrepreneur piece. You know, and your dad being a business mm -hmm. owner where you run towards problems. Like, that's how you work. You know, and then early interest in human resources and the human side. So now we're starting to see the mm -hmm. glimmers, you know, through your leadership. And now you're starting to get interested and you're not scared to just dive in. You know, you didn't say, well, that's not a technology problem, sir. I don't think I do that. You'd just like, I see the solution. I know how to do this. So now... The human element yeah. is coming full circle. And, I mean, I just love that. And so all the learning through all these experiences, but every single glimmer along the way is now culminating in like bigger and bigger impact, but just from a one-to-one -one level. Like it's just how you now naturally function. It just, and it's just the way value. it evolved. And, uh, you know, what's really interesting is I had taken one of those assessments that said, you know, what are your aptitudes? What should you do? Yeah. All of them said I should be a football coach. <laughs> like, I would have loved to have been a football coach. Yeah. I would have, I would have well, done it. It's leadership. It is. And, 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 you know, you think about the impact that, that football coaches have on these young people. Yeah. And I, I know my coach when I was in high school had a huge impact on my life. Yeah. And, and, you know, I have a lot of friends that are that are coaches, and so uh, you know, to to parlay that appetite to to help people, to strategize, and do all this other stuff. I mean, it's just like everything prepared me to do what I do today.
I love it. Education, experience, everything. I love it. So. so here's the fascinating about what you do today. So I'm going to let you put it in your own words. But you're a coach, a CEO coach, mm-hmm. but you end up mentoring wide range of leaders. You And your impact is not like, oh, I'm only like for me. I'm only in marketing and sales or, you know, I'm an operations guy or I'm a technology guy. But you come in and help name problems, build processes, and solve problems in order to grow companies. And you don't have limits to where that impact. And you even have systems and credentials literally spanning not only your experience, but then credentialed and continued education spanning every business division. And it's fascinating because you come in in wide range, 80 plus industries you've worked with now? 92. Oh my God. He's counting. Yeah, 92. <laughs> yeah. I mean, so how, how, like, yes, your experience, it makes sense, but like, how do you roll into so many different environments, so many different personalities, so many different potential problems and know where to start and how did it evolve where you were like, let's go, let's do it all. Like, let's get in the real big mess. So when I, when I started getting into coaching and deciding that I was going to work with organizations, uh, you know, your background marketing, what is marketing? Find your core, your core customer and what's your niche and where's your positioning and all that stuff. And I went through all that stuff. I hired marketing consultants. I had never marketed or sold anything in my life. Okay. But I realized that if I was going to do this as a business, I needed to learn. Okay. So I started reading books like guerrilla marketing and, and, and some of the, some of the, Seth Godin books and stuff like that that's been around that these are the the top thought leaders on this stuff. And I started looking at it and I'm going, this is not that complicated. Right. You know, I mean it's 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 really pretty simple. And but then I had to learn how to sell. And I had never sold anything before in my life. At least I didn't think I had. Exactly. Okay. My perception of sales was I gotta convince you to buy what I got. Yeah. That was my perception. Whether of sales. you need it or not. Whether you need it or yes. not. Yes. Yeah, exactly. Use car sales guy. Yes. What's yeah. it gonna take yeah. to put you in the car today? <laughs> you know? I mean that's a, that was my perception, and honestly, that's everybody's perception. When we when I say salesperson, what's the first thing that comes to mind? Yeah. This used car sales, yeah. pressure, gimmicky, slick, you know, can't trust. Custom kind of kind of person. I said, "Who wants to be that?" Yes. You know, so um, I started studying sales, and I uh, there was an organization I was working with out of Pennsylvania. I was using their materials, and I had become one of their affiliates. And the guy who was the best in the country at selling this stuff uh, was one of my trainers when I went up there, and we had developed a relationship, and. You know, when you become one of their affiliates, they send you these huge boxes full of materials. You know, like you're going to go sell this leadership development program or this strategy program or whatever. And I mean, I had these boxes all over my house. I actually had them stacked in my living room. And they sat there so long, my wife put a doily and a lamp on top of the boxes, (laughs) you know, like it was a piece of furniture. But I, I went out trying to sell the way they had trained me in the in the deal. And it wasn't working. I mean, I couldn't get anybody to buy anything. And I'm like, I'm telling them exactly what they told me to say. And, you know, I'm pitching and doing, I mean, I'm meeting people every day and networking, doing all the things they told me to do. 
And so finally, I was really frustrated. And this is one of the keys is when you're frustrated, you ask for help. You know, yeah. don't be afraid to ask for help. And so I picked up the phone. I called the, the CEO of that company and I said, this is not working for me. And I said, if we don't figure this out, you're about to get eight boxes of books back on your dock. And I'm going to be, I'm going to walk away from this. I'm right. going to go get a job. And, and that was always my fallback position. I told my wife, I said, if this doesn't work, I can always get a job. Yep. And, and so. said the same thing You've said that before. <laughs> yes. I've said it a million times. Yeah, yeah. That's, the people I meet, how did you start on your own? How did you go out and do this? I mean, you weren't nervous. I said, yeah, there's all those things, but you can always go back to what you were doing. Exactly. You know, and, and so that was always, that's why I wasn't really afraid. Yeah. You know, I could find a way to feed my family. Yep. And, and so anyway, the, the, the president of that company up there, she says, well, let me make a phone call. And she had called this guy, his name was Doug. And she said, if you'll cover his expenses, he's willing to come down and work with you. He said, okay, what do we need to do? She said, you need to set up eight appointments. Can you set up eight appointments? I said, yeah, done. And so I talked to Doug and he came down and I had, uh, over two days, I had four appointments and four appointments. And so I picked him up at the airport. We went to dinner. We talked about who we were going to see and strategized and all this other stuff. And we go into the first meeting and Doug sits there with a yellow pad and just starts asking the guy questions. Wait a minute. You're not talking about the product. You're not pitching. You're not doing it. No. Nope. And, and I'm when does like, the selling start? Yeah. I said, when are you going to start trying to sell? He never said anything about what we did. He just kept asking the guy, where are you trying to take your business? What are you trying to do? What are the things that are keeping you from getting there? And I'm just like, this is not what we learned in the class. And and so I'm 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 getting a little frustrated because I'm like, you taught the stinking class, you know, and this is not what you do. Wow. And and so I sit there and watched him talk to the guy, and the guy just opened up yeah. and laid it out on the table, and Doug's writing down, he needs this, and he needs this, he needs help with this. And so we go through four meetings, and Doug does all the talking. And after the fourth meeting, I said, I'm going to take you up back and just beat the crap out of you. <laughs> I was so mad. I said, this is not anything like you did up in our class. And he thought about it. And he goes, yeah, you're right. They immediately went back and changed the class, by the way. Good. And uh, so, but I saw what he did. And what I realized is sales is, is not about trying to convince somebody to do something they don't want to do. Sales is a, about facilitating a buying process. How Amen. do you help them buy the solution they need to solve their problem. That's right. You've got to find the problem and you've got to show how what you do can solve that problem. And this is the big misconception people have about sales. And so the light bulb went, I'm, I'm a little slow, but eventually I get it. And I figured it out. And so the next day we do three, uh, four more meetings. The last one we closed a $25,000 deal. Nice. I was off to the races. Yes. And over the course of the next year, I did over 150000 in sales. And I'm starting to develop a reputation with this organization. Hey, this guy, he can sell. Yeah. You know, and over the course of the next few years, I became one of the top producing affiliates in the country. And so now I know how to market. I know how to sell. Okay. Now I need to figure out how to solve some of these problems. And if there's anything that I probably do 
as much, if not more, than most people that do what I do is I'm an avid learner. Yes. I read uh, voraciously. And, and you know, I, I'm always studying. I'm always trying to learn. I'm trying to be better at what we do. And so, but I also hang out with people that are way smarter than me. You know, and that's that's also one of the keys. You know, I'd love to say I'm, you know, a genius or anything. I'm not. I just outwork people. Yeah. That's my key. Well, it, it doesn't take much for me to do that. Yeah. Hang out with people smarter <laughs> than me. I married one. You know, always marry up, too. That's a word of advice. I did that, I too. Yeah. I did that. I way did that, too. Yeah. That way you wake up yeah. someone smarter. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. My wife, she when she was in high school, she was in the National Honor Society, all this stuff. I didn't even know there was a National yeah. Honor Society. I'm like, what is that? You know? And, and I'm so, not saying all football players don't know. No, I don't know. No, I, I was, I was, I, you look up dumb jock and yeah. you would see my picture there. <laughs> and and uh, but was what, what was funny was I learned how to learn. You know, I started identifying the areas that I didn't know and that I thought it would be beneficial to learn how to do. And and it was the same thing I did doing technology. You know, um, I try, I try to keep things really simple. Okay, if you look at a business, there's eight core functions in every business. I don't care what business you're in. If you're in the marketing business, coaching business, selling shoes, selling cars, selling consult, it doesn't matter. There's eight core functions. Every business has them. So if you understand those eight core functions and what success looks like in each of those areas, then it's pretty easy to look at what their issues are and begin to go, okay, I see what your problem is. Yeah. Okay. And, and then you become almost like a doctor. You start diagnosing what the issues are and you do that just like a doctor does by asking questions. Yeah. You know, tell me why this is this way. Okay, and you begin to get them and see, here's the difference between coaching and consulting. A lot of people think it's the same thing. It's not. Okay, if you if you hire a consultant, the consultant's going to come in and tell you what to do Mm -hmm. because you're buying their expertise. You're buying their knowledge. If You hire a coach. The coach is going to continue to ask questions until you solve your own problem. That's right. And that's what I do is I just keep somebody asked me the other day, what do I do? I'm a professional question asker. That's what I do. (laughs) I I, I know how to ask questions. I love that. And, And so I will ask questions. Tell me why this is this way. Tell me why you went this route instead of this route. And I just keep asking questions until they have that aha moment that like, there's the answer. Yeah, I know. So so what are these, uh, just briefly, what are these core eight fundamentals of every business? Great question. So if you look at a great high-performing organization, it all starts with leadership. Okay? Leadership is number one. Okay, leadership sets the direction that says this is where we want to go. They're the captain of the ship. Okay, they have to figure out where they want the organization to go, what they want the future to look like. And and then they have to be able to communicate that to everybody else. Say, this is the rope we're pulling on. This is where we're going to go. So it starts with leadership. Okay, and most of the companies I work with, you know, I've done a lot of solopreneur stuff and and individuals and stuff, and and those people have a really tough 
tough job. I mean, they really do because they're wearing so many hats. But the companies I work with, most of them, the very first thing we do is we try to get a leadership team in place because the CEO cannot wear all the hats. I had a, a client uh, that when we sit, we, we do use a tool called a functional org chart. Mm-hmm. And we go through and we list all the functions of the business and who owns those. And I had a client out of, out of 15 uh, areas, his name was on 14 of them. Right. And the guy's killing himself. Yes. And I said, why don't we get some people to help you with some of this? So you get in the leadership. Leadership's number one. Okay. Number two is marketing. You've got, and and marketing, in my opinion, is a three-legged stool. I like this guy already. (laughs) Some people say sales. You know, it depends. No, it's marketing. Uh, And and the reason why is because you have to get known in the market, okay, which is your branding. But there's three legs to this stool. The first is to attract people to your business, Mm -hmm. okay? Who do you, who's your target customer? What are their issues? What are their needs? And how does your product and service meet those needs? Okay, that's attraction. And that's where most people kind of stop with marketing. Okay, okay, I've got more business coming in than I can serve. That's great. That's a good place to be. But there's two other components to this. The second is the nurture marketing of the people that already do business with you. Yes. There's a, a buddy of mine wrote a book called Duct Tape Marketing, John Jansch. I love that. And, and love John, that. John says that there are seven steps in the marketing and sales funnel. The first four steps are no, no, like, trust, try. Okay? What are you doing to get known? That's your branding, those kinds of things. What are you doing to get them to like you? Yes. Okay? What can you do to get people to like you? Be follow-worthy. Yeah. Or give them something. Yes. People like you when you give them something. Yes. Okay? So what can you give a prospect or a customer that will make them feel positive about you? We call this we, we creating a positive emotion about your product or service. Okay? If you ever go to a restaurant and they give you a dessert for free, how do you feel about that restaurant? Excellent. This is awesome. Exactly. This is awesome. Okay? So what can you do to get them to like you? Okay, people do business with people they know, like, and trust. Okay, now we got to get them to trust us. Okay, the biggest fear that business owners have about hiring consultants and coaches and all these people is that they're going to spend a lot of money and it's not going to work. Mm-hmm. Okay, so you've got to be trustworthy, like you said. So, so how do you get them to trust you? Well, you do that with by developing a track record and demonstrating that you can deliver what you're promising to deliver. Okay, so show me where you've taken this company from here to here. Show me where you've solved this HR problem. Show me where you solved this this technology problem. Show me where you've been able to implement this ERP system or do these things. And and you've got to build a track record. That's yep. your credibility in the marketplace. And I would even add, like in that space, it's such an awesome opportunity if you can mature their understanding of their problem. And it lives in that gift place, you know, mm-hmm. give them something. You're giving them value. Absolutely. For you issue an invoice and you are showing them how it's worked in the past. But I mean, there's such a huge opportunity to have a significant impact. Sure. Before sure. operationally you're delivering. And man, talk about trust when you're already yeah. advancing their best interests. One of the best sales methodologies out there is called the challenger sale. Uh, and the challenger sale is all about delivering value 
before you engage. Yep. Okay. And that's what I try to do. I try to find ways to give them value before we ever get Amen. hired. Amen. Yes. And, and so we have the marketing side. So you have the attraction, you have the nurture. Nurture is also important because it's where you should be getting at least half of your new business via referral. That's if you're doing a good, fruit. if you're doing a good job, yep. they should be willing to tell somebody about you. Okay. The number one measurement of customer satisfaction is net promoter score. Mm -hmm. Okay. We all do it. We run into it everywhere. Reason why it's number one is because it works. If somebody's willing to promote you, they're willing to tell somebody something positive about your organization. Word of mouth is the number one way people find other stuff. Okay. They ask, you know, who do you know? Yep. Especially in business to business. Yeah. Yeah, business to business or even business to consumer. Do you know a good dentist? Do you know a good accountant? Yes. Do you know a good real estate agent? Google reviews. All yeah, these things. All, the, That's all, all that stuff. people go to and look. How many stars do they have? That's right. Pull them up on YouTube. Let's see people, how they rate different companies, and they line them all out and give their rating, and then you have people comment on that. Yeah, you're right. This, exactly. That, yeah. And so that nurture thing feeds all that. Okay, so the goal of nurture marketing is to get referrals, to get repeat business, and to get testimonials. Those are the three delivers of the nurture. And then the, the third component, and this has become even as important as attraction of customers, is attraction for talent. This one okay. is going to be the game changer, and it already is, because it's now about to get easier, people. Yeah. Yeah, we we are in a war for talent. War, okay, and and there is a global shortage of people. You know, this conference I was at last week, uh, Jack Stack from Great Game of Business made the comment. He said, "We knew five years ago that the people was going to be the issue in 2020." Yeah. You know, when you look at how fast organizations are growing and the the lack of qualified people that are coming out of universities now, you know, the universities, uh, you talk about an organization that's in dire need of overhaul. They're not preparing people to go into the workplace. So they got to get lined up with business. So they're teaching these people so they can come, come get a job. Yep. And so the, uh, the war for talent is real. And people want to work for companies that are have a great culture, okay? I always tell people, if you want to win the war for talent, there's four C's you've got to, you've got to pay attention to, okay? The first one is culture. You've got to have a great place to work. Uh, we talk about becoming an, an employer of choice. Somebody chooses to come to work here. Interstate Batteries was a great employer. Year after year, they were best place to work in DFW. And they were a great company. You cut me, I still bleed Interstate Green. Yeah. I loved working there. Good people, treated well. But you, you've got to have a culture that aligns with people's values. And that's, that's really, really important. Who owns culture in a business? The leadership. Yeah. See, yeah. that's part of the job of leadership is to establish. As a matter of fact, it's the number one job of the CEO is to own and manage the culture. You don't usually hear people say that. That's interesting. Yeah. 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 Think about you, it. You'll spot it when you see good ones. I've, I've seen Ex- them in, in the past at Anheuser-Busch and that. I mean, it's they stick out and you just want to grab a hold and ride, ride along with them. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Jim calls them. Jim Collins calls them level five leaders. Right. Those are the guys you want to you want to hit your wagon to because they're going somewhere. Okay, and 
so you want to, you've got to have a great culture. The second thing is you've got to have reasonable compensation. Yeah. Compensation is real. People want to work for money. And as uh, it's a supply and demand thing. You know, I did pay attention in the economics class a little bit. Uh, when uh, supply is short and demand is high, what happens to price? That's right. It goes, it goes up. up. Okay. So you you got to be prepared to pay more. Okay. Got a real life example of this with our little printing company that we have over in Garland. We decided we've been having a hard time hiring graphic designers yeah. to do the work. And so we up the pay anywhere from 2 to $4 an hour. Boom, boom. We got two good designers. Nice. And I'm like, gosh, if I'd have known it was this easy, I would have done this months ago. And and they're good. Okay? So you got to have enough compensation that will get people to know you're serious as an organization. The days of employers nickel and diamond their people are over. Yep. Yeah. Okay? There's too much demand. Okay, you can be mediocre and go out and get a 20, 30 percent increase in your pay just because they need bodies. Exactly. You know, and so you better you better have a compensation plan that keeps people working for you. Okay, this is one of the things I love about Great Game of Business is one of their one of the 10 steps in implementing that is creating a stake in the outcome. You know, how do you share the gain that the organization uh, has? And it's brilliant what they what they come up with. They call it gain share, not profit share, but gain share. Smart. And, and the gain comes post the what's called the threshold. The threshold is where this is the profit we need to make to have a healthy company. Because if you gave people an option, do I get a raise or do I have a job? They want to have a job first. Yes. Okay. So you've got to have enough profit to be able to keep a healthy company, but you share everything above the threshold. Yeah. Okay. Awesome. And, and this is where you get people now feel like they've got a stake in the outcome. I'm working really hard. I'm going to get a piece of that. Yes. Okay. When we talked to our team, I mean, I always say, listen, guys, our very first thing is to make sure that we are so stable. You never have to worry about is your job in jeopardy. Right. And especially being a small company, you know, you have to make sure that you're always advocating for stability but then, yeah. <laughs> you know, but then they're going to fill in the white space. They're always going to think you make more than you do. They're always going to assume, you know, that there's something else. So, I mean, we try to build as much transparency about yeah. this is how we make decisions. This is why. This is where we're at. That's why I'm so intrigued by but that idea. we were idea. fortunate enough also last year. I implemented that as far as um, anything over my net profit um, that we could keep growing we did kind of a profit sharing for mm -hmm. not a lot of employees, but the ones we did. And there's a ratio I have set aside. I don't know what it lines with. It's just something I came up with, but you know, they weren't expecting it. Yeah. And it's, you know, plan on continuing that every year. Better we do, you know, prosperity for all. Yeah, exactly. yes. Absolutely. They're yes. helping you get there. Exactly. So they should have a, piece of that. Amen. Right. Okay. Yeah. And that's why they call it stake in the outcome. So you got to have compensation. The third thing is they need a, a place to grow. We call that career. Okay. So we've got, you, you've got to have the culture. You've got to have the compensation. You've got to have a career path for them. Yeah. They want to go where they, where they want to grow. And, you know, that's one of the things I learned in the IT world is I could give people an opportunity to get certifications that was worth way more than any, any money I could pay them. 
because certifications set them up to make higher money later on. Oh, I love that. With credentials are important. And so people want to grow. And and that's one of the things, you know, I I talk about leaders all the time because I work with them a lot. And that leaders should invest their time in three, three spots. Okay. The first one is in building and developing your team. Okay, if you don't have a plan to help your team grow and develop, you're going to be playing on a talent shortage. Okay, you know, in the in the National Football League, every year teams rebuild themselves by trying to improve their talent. Businesses should do the same thing. What am I doing to get better talent? Mm -hmm. Okay, so they want to go where they're going to have an opportunity to grow and thrive. That's part of our job as leaders is to create that environment. So you, you, you've got to give them a career path. Where can they go? If some people have aspired to be in management or leadership, which a lot of people have this, you know, we talk about misconceptions about sales. There's a lot of misconceptions about being a leader too. Yes. You know, they think, oh, you get to kick back and tell everybody what to do and all this other stuff. I, I was doing a, a deal in downtown Dallas many years ago where I would go in and it was some type of women's conference. I don't know how I ended up doing this, <laughs> but I got a call and somebody said, would you be willing to come down and do some resume reviews? Okay. There's like 900 women at this conference and there's three of us sitting there and they would bring us their resume and we critique their resume. And one of the things I would do when I would look at their resume, I would, I would say, tell me what you want to do. Okay. Nine out of 10 of them said, I want to be a manager. And my first response is, why? Why? You know, let me tell you about what it means to be a manager. It means you work longer, you work harder for less money than all the people that work for you. Yep. And they're like, what? Yeah, that's true. Yeah. Because there's all these misconceptions about being a leader, you know, that it's easier, that life gets better. Uh Uh-uh. No. And, And so it's hard to be a leader. It really is. And so they want a career path that can get them where they can be successful. Um, the you know one of my goals always was, and I told the people that work for me, I'm a ladder holder. I'm here to hold the ladder and let you go as far as you want, even taking my job if necessary. Okay, my goal is to help you be successful. You know, people will walk through fire for you if you're committed to them like that. I agree. And so, got to have a career, and then the last is communication. That's you, You've got to know what's going on. If, if I had to isolate the number one issue with the organizations that I work with, it's communication, mm-hmm. internal. The left hand doesn't know what the right hand's doing. How many times do we see mistakes made because somebody knew something and didn't tell somebody else? Or they said, or they thought they had communicated something, and that is not what anyone else heard. There was, there was no actionable outcome. Right. Absolutely. I mean, that is just such a mist. Yeah. Oh, my goodness. Yeah. And and there's a lot of business leaders that think they're great communicators when the fact of the matter is they're lousy communicators. <laughs> they don't, they don't, you know, they That's don't get their idea lifestyle. across. So they, they, you know, part of the, the if you look at Stephen Covey's uh, seven habits, it's seek first to understand, then be understood. Okay, it's not just understand. You've got to be understood. You've got to ensure that they understand what you're asking for. And so, you know, setting expectations. The biggest, the biggest point of conflict in businesses everywhere is unmet expectations. Mm. You know, I expected this would happen. 
Now, everybody fills in the blank with something. Yes. Okay? And it's typically negative. Yes. Okay? So let's fill in the blank with the stuff that people need to know. Okay? So how effectively do we communicate inside the organization so that we manage expectations? We're clear about roles and responsibilities and, and what we want you to do. You know, I, lo I love watching my daughter work because she'll make a comment about, well, so-and-so didn't do this. I said, did they know they were supposed to do this? Well, I thought they, no, 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 no. <laughs> did you tell them they were supposed to do this? No. I said, well, why, before you can hold them accountable, why don't you tell them that you expect this to be done? Yes. You know, it, it's impossible to hold people accountable to an expectation that's not communicated. Yes. Yeah. I went through this little mini training. It's not in any sort of book or anything like that. Um, a friend of mine owns a company called Great Consult or Great Assistant, and they do this 360 delegation and they simply teach three different things you know what do you want done you know you communicate that and then you ask yourself what are the resources they need to be able to do it so you have to list out do they need a password do they need phone numbers do they have access to this do they know who to ask for this information so I mean, it's literally just if you ask somebody to go through a door did you give them the key right right like the house right. Like, did you give them the key so you're listing out the keys that you need to hand them in order to take care of something, and then the definition of done. How will they know and you know that that thing is done to maximum effectiveness or even just to satisfaction? Sure. And it was so simple and obvious, and I thought, well, why haven't I ever heard this before? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But the resources piece yeah. was huge because how many times have I even maybe potentially clearly communicated I need something done, but they did nothing to show them how to do it, to give them access, to give them a password, to connect them to somebody else on the team that needed to who knows what, right. you know, and then say, and it's done when, and just simple, clean definition, not something complicated. And it was, that was really impactful yeah, for it's, me. It's tough for a builder to build a house with no tools. Yes. And for you to go ask him to do that and him going, well, somebody stole my work truck with all the tools. And you knew that. <laughs> yeah. Show up with no tools, you know. Yes, Absolutely. Exactly. Yes. There, the, there's a buddy of mine uh, who's down in Australia. His name's Brad Giles. And Brad is working on a book right now about onboarding and the economic impact of mm -hmm. doing very good onboarding. And that's where communication starts. You know, the things you were talking about, do they know these things? You'd be surprised. And I, this actually happened to me once in my career. I, I was went to work. Here's your computer. Here's your phone. Here's your desk. Good luck. Yeah. Where's the bathroom? You know, how about... <laughs> <laughs> you know? Exactly. I take my break yeah. right here. <laughs> so, I know. You know, I mean, but that's what people think about. Well, I've, I've hired you. You should know what to do. Yeah. You know, and if not, just ask so-and-so. Well, and it's this idea that sometimes you have to slow down to speed up. And I'm just now in my career really coming to that idea of if you slow down enough to support someone in their ability to be successful. They will outrun you like nobody's business oh, sure. once they are up and going. But you have to take the time to do that. You know, the longer you say, I'll get around to that, I'll train you on that later, oh yeah, I forgot, or or you have a list of things that you think you can delegate and you just never get around to doing it. Right. I mean, you're always going to be saddling not your only yourself, but everything, your success, your team, everything. And I mean, it can be complicated to prioritize that. There was a guy that I heard speak several years back and he actually did a formula 
of the cost of not delegating something. Mm. When you look at your your hourly rate, what what you bill or what you could do with your time and the value of your time, as opposed to somebody else that could do that same task at one fourth of the rate, you you can build an economic model that hits you between the eyes and says, "Why in the heck am I still doing this?" Yeah. Yeah. You know, and that that's the problem that a lot of people is they don't understand the value of their time. And therefore, they don't onboard. They don't make that commitment. The goal, you know, the according statistically, it takes about six months to get somebody fully productive in a job. Statistically, yeah. Sometimes more than that. Yeah, it, it depends on the so, job. Yeah, but statistically, sure. it's about six months. What is the economic value to an organization if you can cut that time in half? Massive. See, I mean, you, and that's what Brad's working on is what is the economic value of that? And he's actually coming up with a formula for that. He's, he's, this guy's brilliant. And you got to give yourself room to grow. Yeah. I mean, absolutely. That's the bottom line. Yeah. If you put all the weight on your shoulders, you'll never be able to go anywhere. Well, and that's the thing. As entrepreneurs, we got enough stuff to worry about. You know, it's about our competition, about our, our team. We've got all these things. And, you know, I was telling you, there's three things that leaders need to focus on. First is building and developing your team. Second is strategy. Mm-hmm. What's our strategy to win? Do we have a game plan that will help us win? I had a friend that I went to college with who uh, was a uh, quarterback coach in the NFL. And he, he said, we start working on the plan for next week while we're on the plane flying home. And you see, we work on that plan all week, six days a week for a three-hour game. Yeah. Okay? And so they develop the plan. Then they take the last couple of days and share the plan with the team so the team can execute the plan. And you look at that model and you're going, these guys are working way ahead of the time that it's going to be executed. Where businesses miss it is they don't do that front-end work. Yes. They want they show up, hey, we need to do this. Well, how are we going to do it? Well, we don't know. Figure it out. Yeah. You know? <laughs> and it's incredibly inefficient. It costs a lot more and takes a lot longer. Where if they just take some time and do that, that upfront planning. So the, um, you know, people is, is one of the biggest issues that I see out there. Um, back to your original question about the eight functions. You've got leadership, marketing, sales. Okay. Peter Drucker said, nothing happens till you sell something. That's so true. Okay. I mean, it's, it's true. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Nothing happens till you sell something. And, and, uh, there's all these misconceptions about sales. Um, there was a guy, uh, what's his name? Um, uh, uh, Daniel Pink wrote a book called To Sell as Human. Yeah. Okay. If somebody's never been in sales, they should read that book first. Everyone is in sales. Yes. Everybody's in sales. Yes. We just don't call it that. That's right. Okay. And that it's about building relationships and, and getting people to understand that you're there to help them facilitate their buy. Yep. And, and so there's no pressure in the process. And that sales is a process. And so Daniel does a good job of laying that out for people. But there's, the, you know, the sales methodologies are like diets. You know, there's only about oh, yeah. 100,000 of them out there. Yes. There's baseline selling and solution selling and challenger sell and all this other stuff. You know what? What I found, and I've read all those books and I've studied, I've, I've been through Sandler training. I've done them all. Okay. Yeah. Here's what I've learned. It all starts with a relationship. 
you build a relationship because people do business with people they know, like, and trust. You don't get there without building a relationship first. And the fastest way to build a relationship is to care about that person deeply and in deep integrity that you really care more about their outcome than yeah. your sale. Sure. That is the fast track to sell. You worry to about them and their business. Yes. Don't do anything wrong for their business that you know is not good for them long term. That's right. That's right. And once you do those things, you'll be amazed at the the free reins that you'll be given if you just do the right thing for them and their business. Yeah. You had a lot of that at Coca-Cola. Oh, yeah, a ton of it. I didn't want to go down that road. But, <laughs> but well, I mean. Yeah, I mean, that's what I would do. Yeah. I would, it would take the relationships, build them, and, you know, then before I knew it, how's your sales up? Quarter yeah. after quarter after quarter. Okay, yeah. Just name it. I've got it. It's all, you know? you know, when it's all said and done, business is people doing business with people. Okay, you don't do business with countries. You don't do business with industries. You do business with people. That's right. Okay, so it's all about relationships. And this was one of the things I learned in the dot com business is the power and the value of relationships. The doors that got opened for us because we had a guy on our advisory board that you know was the CEO of the L.A. Dodgers that opened doors after door after door, and I mean. We couldn't have gotten into those places on our own. It's amazing. You know, this guy just helped us, but because he, he liked us. Yeah. You know, he liked what we were doing, and 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 we were able to get into places that just blew our mind. And so, relationships are really, really important. And and how do we get that in the sales process? Okay. And I, I whenever I talk to organizations about sales, I draw a big circle that says pitch and I draw a line through it. No pitching. No pitching. No pitching. We don't, you know, uh, we call that puking on the table. (laughs) Nobody likes that. Nobody likes that. And so uh, you you don't pitch. You you try to uncover their issues. Okay. We always say people look at things from, they either have problems, issues, challenges, or suspicions. Okay. Or want. There's a want. We call it the pick W. Problem, issues, challenges, and wants. And you've got to uncover the pick W. Okay? What are those things? And then you, in your mind, know what your product or service can do. Okay? One of the biggest mistakes you can make is try to get them to buy, buy your product or service when it won't solve one of these issues. That's right. Okay? That's, That's right. just nothing but a disaster waiting to happen. It's only about their transformation from pain and problem to Absolutely. Progress. Totally agree. Transformation is the right word. So you, you understand that, then you develop a tailored solution to what's been identified if your solution will solve that problem. And I always tell people the last part of the sales process is a decision. We're either going to do this or we're not. And, and if we choose not to, that's okay. Yes. Every no gets you closer to the next yes. That's right. Okay. So the faster you can get to no, the better. Okay. Sometimes your solution's not a good fit. It's not the right answer. It's more respectful of your own time in addition of the people that you are serving to just tell the truth early and often. Yeah. And if you're not the right fit, refer someone, give good advice, move on. I told you this one was chock full of amazing advice. So just stay tuned for part two of our conversation with Mike Myro. 
If you enjoyed this episode of the Corporate Caffeine Podcast, please help us help you by subscribing. I also hope you'll find us on social media. You can follow me, Dacia Coffee, and my company, The Marketing Blender, by searching us on your favorite platform or checking out the show notes for the links. We bring this to you because we envision a business world full of meaning, connection, and prosperity for us all. Until next time, onward and upward.